Welcome to the self-love revolution. I'm Ashley, a mental health therapist and self-love coach, and I'm here to simplify self-love and share how it's possible for any woman. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Self-Love Revolution podcast. I have Joanna with me, and she is a change agent, which is a new term to me, so I'm super excited to dive into this today and specifically talk about introverts because I am an introvert, and so um, this is an exciting topic for me. So thank you for being here. Uh, You're welcome. It's a real pleasure to be here. Can you start us off by, one, telling us, kind of explaining what a change agent is and share what you do? Of course, yes. So I've been in the world of learning and development coaching since 1987, which for a lot of my clients, that's before they were born. But the reason I say that is because I absolutely love what I do. But I'm a late developer, and many introverts are actually late developers, And I did my master's when I was 50. And the title of my master's is Change Agent Skills and Strategies. And if people are unsure what that really means, because it's it's kind of confusing. And as you say, you'd not heard of it before. If a travel agent helps marry people up with their perfect holiday and a a real estate agent or or an estate agent here in the UK helps people find the right house, location, etc. to move to, then a change agent helps people identify, navigate and master change. So that's what my life is about. It's about helping people navigate and master change, specifically now introverts. So that's my, for the last four or five years, I've really focused on working with introverts because as an introvert myself, I know how much the extroversion bias costs us in terms of our health and well-being. Yeah. For sure. So what are some of the effects of that um, introverts living in like an extrovert society? <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, it starts really early. So the, the impacts grow, I think, over time, because even in early childhood and on into education, we're, we're still in a way, bringing our young people up to believe that the extrovert ideal is the way forward. So you must speak up, you must push yourself forward, you must be competitive, you know, all of those sorts of things, which is almost the antithesis of a natural introvert style. So by the time many introverts get into their late teens, you know, early adulthood, into the workplace, they're often already feeling not enough, because Mm -hmm. we've had by then years or decades of being told to be different, push yourself forward, speak up, be more this, be more that, don't be so quiet. Uh, And so there comes a point at which, as I say, often in our early 20s, we begin to believe there is something wrong with us, that, that somehow we're broken or in need of fixing. So many of us then bend ourselves out of shape. And that's certainly what I did for about three decades, actually. So I pretended to be more extroverted because that's what the world wanted. That's what my organization wanted. That's what my peers wanted until I hit introvert burnout. And that's not a great place to be. So a lot of the work I do now enables people to stop that slide down into introvert burnout. Mm, That's really cool. 
I know I definitely relate to that. Like growing up, every my mom made fun of me because every single teacher said she's really quiet. And growing up, I definitely thought like, well, maybe I shouldn't be so quiet. Like, why? Why am I so quiet? But as I have gotten older, I've seen like, well, that's normal for me. And that's okay, right? Absolutely. And, you know, that's where some of the pressure starts. Because Mm -hmm. even if you think about parents picking their children up from school, you know, there's almost that barrage of questions. What did you do today? Who did you talk to? What did you learn? Who did you play with? And many introvert children, because their mental batteries have been draining throughout the day as they've been focusing their attention, when they start their journey home or get home, they just want peace and quiet to top those batteries up again before we get into then the conversation about it. So it's not unusual for people to think that, you know, there is something wrong until they have that glorious moment when they realise they may be different in that they're an introvert, but that doesn't make them wrong. And that's yeah. that's a wonderful, wonderful moment to experience, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. It doesn't make us wrong to be the way that we are. Absolutely. Yeah. So obviously, in this, um, when ex- introverts are out in the world and being exhausted, like self-care is really important. And as a lot of my listeners know, I preach self-care every single episode. (laughs) Um, So self-care is really important for introverts when we go out in the world, um, whether it's work or relationships. So what are some self-care activities that can help fill introverts' cup? Great question. And it may be worth, because not everyone might be clear on the introvert extrovert thing. So it might be worth going back to define that first, to then talk about why certain things are useful for introverts. So I'm a Jungian at heart. So I go back to the Jungian definition of introvert and extrovert, which is that introverts draw energy from within and extroverts draw energy from outside. So what drains an introvert's mental battery is ironically what charges an extrovert's mental battery. And that's why there's often tension, why why there's a misunderstanding between those two different types, actually, between those two different preferences. So whereas for an extrovert, when they feel their mental batteries drain, they need to get out and get busy and be in a busy, loud, noisy environment and have fun and all those sorts of things. That's the very last thing an introvert wants. So an introvert, in order to for them to top those mental batteries up and experience genuine self-care, it's often about the quieter activities. So walking in nature, for instance, Maybe if they're a runner, they'll go on a a run, headphones on, go on a run on their own, and that might be self-care. A lot of introverts read, are voracious readers, and, you know, to sit quietly curled up with your your family pet and the blanket and whatever and a good book is is absolutely ideal. But I I also want to, I suppose, dispel the myth that introverts are antisocial because we're not yeah. But in the case of my husband and I, we we experience what we lovingly refer to as companionable silence. So we'll go for a walk together, 
And we may not say anything for 20 minutes to each other because we're appreciating the, the, the environment, the surroundings that we're in, or the nature, the, the weather, whatever it happens to be. Sometimes when we go out for dinner together, we won't say very much. And I've sometimes seen other tables going, you know, like, oh, look at those poor people. You know, they don't have anything to say to each other. How sad. Not at all, actually. Relishing silence and being with somebody else who loves silence for me is one of the most nourishing things in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I totally relate to that. My husband and I are the same way. We can go out to eat and sit at a table and be perfectly content um, in that silence. So for someone who is in a relationship where there's one extrovert and one introvert, how do you, you know, respect each other's boundaries in the needs of an introvert versus an extrovert? The very first thing is to understand the difference. And, and I'm all about, you know, valuing and inclusivity. So understanding what, what makes an introvert an introvert and what makes an extrovert an extrovert is the very first place. Because it always seems to be that it's the introvert who's on the critical end of comments about them not being right introverts very rarely say why do you always have to shout why do you always have to speak up why do you always have to go partying it's usually the other way around about why don't you come out with me more often why don't you do this why don't you do that so having a very adult conversation about needs is where the boundary starts and i'm talking needs as opposed to wants so Wants are things that, yeah, nice to have. Needs are those things that without which we are suboptimal. So for me, unless I have about an hour and a half of absolute quiet time a day, I don't function well. So, you know, something needs to give. So for a family or a partnership to sit together and discuss, explore, examine what each other's needs are, then they can start to negotiate in terms of how they get those needs met. So then the extrovert becomes more tolerant, I guess, of the fact that the introvert isn't being antisocial or shy or I've been called arrogant, stuck up, boring, all sorts of things. None of those is true. I'm just taking time to recharge my batteries. So I can encourage my extroverted partner to go out and socialise and go to the golf club and go and do whatever else whilst I'm at home reading or cooking or gardening, doing something that really nourishes me. So talking about those needs is is the first important place, I think, in terms of establishing boundaries. And, And whether they are emotional boundaries, physical boundaries in terms of space, um, social boundaries in terms of how much interaction I'm going to get involved with, or even spiritual boundaries, all of those need talking about and understanding so that together, you know, we can really complement each other. Yeah. Sounds like communication is kind of the key piece. Yes. And, and the more introverts I work with, the more often I will hear, there's no point me saying anything, they won't listen. And the, the problem with that is that then we're, um, we're, we're almost, our destiny then is to be misunderstood and to be 
be thought of as being less than, of not being enough. So one of the things that's really important is for introverts to find their true voice so that what they can do is articulate their strengths positively. They can ask for what they need powerfully and gently and calmly. No, none of this has to be overly dramatic, but it means that we get our message across. So communication is absolutely it. But but if I say there's no point, then I'm caught in kind of victim mode and and flourishing introverts are not victims. Yeah, I think that's really important that they're to remember there's like there's nothing wrong with you if you need time to yourself and you need time and quiet as long as yeah. you're communicating that you need that. And what's surprising is, you know, in the US it's over 50% of people identify as an introvert. In the UK, it's just under 50%. So, you know, the percentages are very similar. But that's half the population. However we look at it, it's half the population. And yet I don't see half of the population powerfully asking for their need for quiet, for their need to recharge their batteries, to be respected for who they are. So there's so much work to be done around the diversity, equity and inclusion agenda. And you said... Um, when introverts find their voice a little bit ago. So how do introverts find their voice? It, it's about accessing what's really important to them. And it, I think it starts with taking time to understand their value, their worth. And, and that's often the first sticking point because we've had these years or decades of being told to be different and having this sense that we're not enough. I mean, I, I work with quite a lot of women in their kind of 40s and 50s who are just finding out they're an introvert, and it's a revelation to them. And and so they've got this sense, this low self-esteem, a, a really not a great sense of self-worth, and they don't feel they, they have much value or bring much value. So the first point of, of work really to do here is to really own your strengths as an introvert and appreciate your value appreciate all the all the goodness all the calm all the peace all the great listening all the um generative conversations that we that we kind of bring to the workplace and to the world and see that there's real value in that because once i've once i've owned that then i can start to ask for what i need in a more assertive fashion knowing that it's not coming from a place of victimhood, but from a place of power. I like that. Finding your strength um, and knowing that there is power in, in your strengths, um, whether you're just learning it or, you know, growing in your strengths, I think is really important. Yeah. And sometimes what that means is overcoming limiting beliefs. I'm about to, to run a, a, a kind of, a short program on on flipping your limiting beliefs because again the, those years or decades of being told we're not enough instill in us beliefs that what we can't do and again I see too many introverts using introversion as an excuse saying oh no I couldn't do that I'm an introvert we can do anything we put our minds to provided we recharge our mental batteries enough mm -hmm. yeah I think that's it sounds like that's what it comes back to is 
really being able to recharge um, and come back to those strengths after you have recharged. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned um, a little bit about boundaries and um, it sounds like communication is a big part of that. Um, Are there any other ways that introverts can create boundaries? There is a process, which is once you've once you've understood your value, once once you've understood what your needs are, and once you've communicated those, what we're doing is putting in place those boundaries. So I almost think of it like a picket fence rather than a wall, because a wall is kind of impenetrable, whereas a picket fence is we can see through it, there's there's light and space in that kind of fence. And yet it's a very definitive, clear boundary. And what we need to do once we've put that boundary in place, once we've communicated it to people, because people aren't mind readers, it's no good as knowing what our boundary is if we're not going to tell other people. Because then what we need to do is let people know when, they've, when they're getting close to that boundary or when they've stepped over it. And I'm a big fan of, there's a guy called Tony Gaskins who has a beautiful quote, which is that you teach people how to treat you by what you allow, what you stop, and what you reinforce. And that's what boundary management is all about. What am I allowing? What am I stopping? And what am I reinforcing? And if I take the time to understand what my needs are, what my value is, put those boundaries in place, articulate them, I then need to defend them. So I need to maintain them, is it still is it still right because interestingly as we grow sometimes our boundaries grow with us so what felt like a real need maybe even for me eight ten years ago I've been able to relax a bit around it now so the boundary is less rigid now so every now and again we need to check in and think is that boundary still relevant can I loosen it a bit you know who am I now as an individual And then, of course, what we need to do is defend them. So if someone comes close or steps over, we need to be able to say no. We need to say that's not acceptable rather than sulk or rather than um, get angry. Actually be really clear. And again, it's back to assertiveness. That behavior is not acceptable and just be really clear about it. Yeah, I uh, know in my past it was easy. And I've heard my clients say, you know, it's really easy to let people walk all over me. And when you are able to defend your boundaries, that it it doesn't happen when you can defend who you are and your needs, I think. Yeah. And, and it'll shock people initially. So, so people, the, the ones who will get, um, upset and angry are the ones who probably have been breaching your boundaries too long so the ones who you know the ones who will respect your boundaries will absolutely say yep I get it I understand so that for me is also a time for me to think about who are the important people in my life who genuinely care and respect for me and who are the ones who maybe I need to put some distance with now yeah Definitely. I think this all kind of ties into mental health. So um, we talked a little bit about self-care, which is a part of it, but how can introverts take care of their mental health? 
you're right, it is all wrapped up together. And almost on a day to day basis, if, if introverts are out working in the in the, you know, the big outside world, they're likely to be hitting overwhelm almost every day. And when we hit overwhelm, unless we take care of that with self care, we're then causing ourselves more mental stress and and sometimes physical stress than we need to because there's a slippery slope from overwhelm through to introvert hangover through into introvert burnout. And each of those is a very strong signal to say you need to look after yourself. So in the same way that we notice what a stress response is for us now, we also need to be really um, really monitoring what our mental battery charges and noticing when it's when it's depleting and saying right now I need to take some time out I need to carve some time out of my day out of my week take a weekend whatever it is to make sure those batteries are recharged so that I maintain my good mental health so those things are very much intertwined yeah and, yeah. I, and I think there's something else that comes with this which is the piece around social anxiety. So a lot of people conflate introversion with social anxiety. They're completely different things. And social anxiety, where I have a, a, an absolute terror of social situations, yes, some introverts experience that, but do you know what? So do some extroverts. And can you imagine how difficult that is to need that social interaction to recharge my mental batteries and yet being terrified of it at the same time? So let's not conflate those things because, you know, there there are things we can do around that. And actually, introversion is introversion. It doesn't need fixing. Social anxiety, there are therapies and we, things we can do to actually, you know, help that situation. Yeah, I think a, a lot of it is, it sounds like realizing your needs and taking care of that, whether it be you know, in social situations or in relationships, um, just really yeah. taking care of your needs. Yeah, there's a lovely saying, isn't it, which is you can't pour from an empty cup or an empty jug. And that's exactly how I think of self-care. And, you know, the, the other often used example of when you're on a plane and they say put your own oxygen mask on first before you help somebody else. That's exactly what we're talking about here. When you look after your own needs, it is not selfish, it's self-care. And when you look after your own needs, you're then more capable to help other people, but not until you've looked after your own needs. Yeah, definitely. I talk to a lot of women who um, talk about neglecting themselves because, you know, they have kids and a family and all of these responsibilities and I say all the time, you know, you have to take care of yourself in order to take care of others. Like we have to fill yeah. ourselves so that we can take care of others. Spot on. And and I think it's even more important for a mother, you know, somebody who's a, a, a part of a head of a family to demonstrate to the children that that's important too. Otherwise, we're raising the next generation not to understand that it's important to take care of our needs. So one of the things I encourage families to do when we're talking about needs is if, you know, let's say mum and partner, whoever it happens to be, are talking about their needs, is to involve the children as well and ask the children what their needs are. And then maybe have them stuck on the on the refrigerator or something so that when we're 
when there's a bit of tension in the family, we can go to the fridge and look at the door and say, now, who's not getting their needs met? What do we need to change in order that we can bring order back into this into this family? Yeah, I love that. I think a lot of times we hear about how parents can take care of themselves when they're, you know, taking care of kids and working and all of this. But I think kids often, kids need that too. You know, they need their needs met and they need to learn their strengths and their values. Absolutely. And how to articulate those. So when they're very young, you know, the needs are more likely to be, I need more jelly and I need more playtime. Well, you know, that's fine. They've had a a chance to articulate. But as they mature, they will start to then articulate their strengths in better ways too. Uh, Sorry, their needs in better ways. Yeah. Well, are there any books, podcasts, any resources that you recommend to people? Specifically for introverts, um, the book by Susan Cain, Quiet, which is probably the the book that got everyone to start to appreciate that there's nothing wrong with introversion. And I think it's quiet, um, the power of silence in, or the power of quiet in a world that can't stop talking, something like that. And it's it's a brilliant book. She's also got a TED Talk if you if you prefer to look at TED Talks. As of I, I've got a TED Talk and a podcast too. So both specifically around introversion. My podcast is called The Flourishing Introvert Talks, dispelling the myth that we don't have anything to say for ourselves. I love that. And I will for sure link that in your bio um, so other people can find that. Thank you. Yeah. And if people want a quick um, download, things like the uh, I've got a download on brilliant battery boosters, which are You know, for our mobile phones, we have those little emergency batteries that just give us an extra hour of juice. So I have some techniques that I've developed that when we're in the workplace and have to keep going, we can use these simple little techniques just to top us up for a little while to keep going. So um, you're very welcome to share that that with your listeners too. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing all of this. I know As an introvert, I really appreciate it. And I know this is a much needed topic. So I'm really thankful that you are here sharing this. Thank you. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Revolution podcast. Make sure you subscribe and visit selflovevolutionpodcast.com for more resources. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for joining me, Ashley, in this episode of the Self-Love Revolution podcast. I'll see you next time.